Maso. Good morning. This morning we return to meditative cultivation of empathetic joy. And it seems to me in a way this just an ongoing flow, a real sequence, as I've commented before, from the loving kindness to the compassion to the empathetic joy, something like a mounting momentum or surge in these three. And the common strand it connects all four of the four measurables. The common denominator is empathy. And that is when we cultivate loving kindness. Of course, we know it's an aspiration. It's an aspiration. May you find the, the happiness you seek and cultivate. Now we bring in the wisdom. Cultivate the causes that lead to your happiness. So it's not just some kind of an airy-fairy nice thought, but an aspiration. May you achieve what you desire, but also be smart. Be wise and cultivate that, which can really lead to the fulfillment of your own aspirations. But this implies an empathy, implies an awareness, a sensitivity to, well, what, what is it that you wish? What are your desires? What are your aspirations? Not just having one's own and then projecting them, but, you know, having that sense, you know, that openness, that openness of the heart to attend closely in our interpersonal relationships, a spousal relationship, parent-child relationship. What is it you want? What is, what is your aspiration? What is your vision? Rather than just telling them what they should be wanting, right? It's very easy for parents to do that. I know. So, empathy. The, in the cultivation of loving kindness, there's only one caveat, one exception, where we would not wish, oh, may your aspirations, may you find the happiness you seek. There's only one, one case where we pull back on it. And that is, if, if we encounter, I'll take a really easy example, a racist, a racist who feels, who wants to be, wants happiness and feels the way to be happy is that people of a certain race are eliminated or they're marginalized or suppressed or put in their place. And then all the rest of us, like me, we can be happy. Okay? Well, when you see that aspiration, we're hardly going to say, may you find the happiness you desire. You know, that everybody, you know, everybody who's not like you is Eliminated. But we see it's exactly the problem. Exactly the problem is the lack of empathy on that person's part. People of a different skin color, eye shape, hair color, maybe it's long, tall or short, maybe it's fat and skinny, you know, whatever it is. Or Buddhist and not Buddhist, religious people, not religious people, communist and not communist. But it always boils down to a sense of alienation, of otherness, a lack of empathy. So when people seek their happiness, when we, human beings, when we seek our happiness by inflicting harm, my sense is, and by deliberately deliberately doing it, my sense is it always comes out of, well, I'm inflicting harm, but I'm inflicting harm on someone who is not like me. And sufficiently not like me that the harm is justified. So during wars... Americans and Germans, Americans and Japanese, Japanese and Chinese, and so forth and so on, they're sufficiently different that whatever we do is justified. But I think that's been going on for a very long time. So, the common answer is empathy. Even there, when we see a racist, I'm taking such an easy example that for which there's kind of no discussion, no debate. Even there, is there anything we can empathize with? Obviously, we're not going to empathize with the racism. 
or sexism, putting down another gender. I'm not going to empathize with that. I'm not, not, not even going to try. But where's it coming from? Where's it coming from? In California, for example, Southern California, where I've spent part of my life. There now, I think, Los Angeles is maybe something like the third or fourth largest city populated with Hispanic people. Why not? The Americans took it from them in the first place. You know, it basically robbed them. I mean, that's just the, you know, the long and the short of it. American government wanted South, you know, California, Arizona, and picked a fight and took it. They were bigger. I mean, there's history, you know, bluntly stated. But, until recently, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how the, the trend is going, economic opportunities were somewhat better in California than in Mexico. And so a lot of people, husbands, wives, wanting the best for their children, legally or illegally, would get to a place where they get a decent job and be able to take care of their children. Can anybody empathize with that? Can anybody not empathize with that? You'd like to have a decent salary to take care of your children, get them, get a, get, get them a good education? I certainly can. I empathize with every single one of them. Absolutely. Legal, illegal, oh, the hell with that. I don't care. They want to take care of their children. What part of that can't we empathize with? And now we have, you know, the people with, I don't know, a different ethnic group living in Southern California, and they're feeling threatened. They're feeling threatened. You turn on the radio, see a whole bunch of Mexican stations. They look, they, they look around, and they see a whole bunch of people with different skin color. Maybe they don't speak such good English, maybe they don't speak English. They feel threatened. They feel threatened, they feel scared. They feel they're losing, they're losing their home. Feeling something alien. They're not like us. They're moving in. Happens when Muslims move into an area in the United States. It happens when Jews move into it happens when Anglos move into an area. You know? It just that and it all boils down to alienation, doesn't it? You're not like me. I'm threatened. I'm threatened. I understand that. I understand that. I abhor racism. But I understand, nobody wants to feel threatened. Nobody wants to feel they're surrounded by people who are alien, radically unlike them, and then therefore could be hostile, whose interests could be radically different from one's own, and edge you out, and marginalize you, and make you irrelevant or impoverished. Tibetans feel that way in Lhasa. Something like 90% of the businesses now are owned by, owned by Chinese. If I were a Tibetan living in Lhasa, I would feel threatened. I would have been threatened for the last 60 years. They empathize with that. And the Chinese going there, they're looking for opportunity, looking for a place to live, get a good, decent salary, raise their children. I empathize with that. I recognize that. And they feel Tibet's part of China. How could they feel otherwise? That's all the information they've ever gotten from the government, is Tibet has always been a part of China. Why should they believe otherwise? They don't get to listen to Radio Free Tibet. They wouldn't understand it if they did. It's spoken in Tibet. So it boils down to empathy. With loving-kindness, we empathize even with the racist. Not on the level of racism, absolutely not. It's toxic, it's poison, nothing to empathize with. But where is it coming from? I get it, I get it. You know? There's a level I can empathize with the racist. May you be well and happy, but not by, by racism. That only gives rise to misery. But may you be well and happy. When we come to compassion, it's empathy. May you be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. There I resonate all the through. All the way through. There are no mental afflictions that I don't have. I don't think there are any of them that I don't understand. Any of them I haven't tasted. I get it. 
I understand it. Whether it's a terrorist, whether it's whoever it is, I understand it. May you be free. I want to be free. And then we come to empathetic joy. And here we attend to others' joy. Well, once again, we're not going to attend to the joy of you know, harming others. Not, going to, not to empathize with that. Nope. It's toxic. Any We take delight in somebody eating poisonous food. But apart from that, taking delight in others' joys, even simple joys, joys of a good meal, joys of lying in the warm sun, taking a pleasant walk, so we attend out, and of course we can attend out not only to human beings, but all sentient beings. All sentient beings, whenever they experience some joy, some happiness, some security, some sense of safety. And those who are actively cultivating the causes of joy, through ethics, through samadhi, through wisdom. So I think in all of these cases it boils down to empathy, that sense of not other, not alienated, not radically over there. As I listen to His Holiness, and I've heard him speak so many times in these meetings with scientists, and in many other contexts as well, he is extremely intelligent and is so global. He's probably the most cosmopolitan person I know. I know a lot of people, but I don't think I know any more, anybody more cosmopolitan, a globetrotter, a person who gets the whole world, empathizes wherever he goes with Muslims and Christians and atheists and communists and republicans, He goes where some of us can't go. <laughs> no, but we try. We try. You know? But he empathizes with all of them. He finds everywhere he goes, finds something to empathize with. My brothers and sisters, as he's speaking with the Chinese communists, my brothers and sisters, when he's in, when he's in Jerusalem, engaging with the Muslims and the Jews, my brothers and sisters, when he's dealing with hardcore materialist neuroscientists, my, my teachers, my teachers, you know? And, and, he, and he means it. That's the thing that's impressive. I mean, anybody can give lip service to this. A parrot can. But actually he means it. And so, as I listen to him speak over the many years now, I see him always looking for the common ground. Acknowledging differences. Are there differences in Christian belief and Buddhist belief? Of course there are. Of course there are. And then he'll talk about a Christian yogi he met. I think it was in Spain quite some years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. man had spent years in solitude, Christian monk living in solitude. And His Holiness visited the area and this, this monk came out of solitude. And His Holiness was immediately so just impressed by his presence. which is such a gentleness, a softness, a warmth there. And His Holiness asked him, oh, monk. And he really resonates with monks. Oh, he's really, really empathizes with monks very easily. And so he asked the monk, oh, monk, what have you been meditating all these many years? And the monk said, love. Made us happy. This woman is so happy. Love. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just immediate 100% connection. I gotcha. It's not Christian love. It's not Roman Catholic love. Protestant, Baptist, Mormon, Buddhist, Galupa, Nyingma. It's just common ground. Total resonance. Total resonance. So as we return, so that's what he's interested in. Acknowledging the differences, they have their place. It's part of the richness of human life. Sometimes they're afflictive, and it's part of human life to try to alleviate and heal them. But focusing on the common ground. Whenever we encounter anybody, in any occasion, and feel initially alienation, you're not like me, 
You're not like me. There's probably some truth to that. Nobody's like me. In the sense, if you're looking for a complete match, you don't have my genes. You don't have my... You didn't come out of the womb the same time I did. Not the same one. Nobody's like me. Even twins are not like each other. One came first, one came second, and so forth. But whenever we have that sense, you're not like me. There's probably some truth to it. But there's a deeper truth. Now look for that. Focus on it. And then you establish the grounds for empathy. So let's practice empathetic joy. Find a comfortable position. Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states.
then direct your awareness outward. And attend closely to the joys, the successes, the delights, the good fortune of others, wherever your attention alights. Attend closely. Let it become real for you. And take delight in others' joys, their good fortune, their happiness, as if it were their, as if it were your own. Breathing out, breathing out your joy, your satisfaction.
and look with a common ground once again. As you attend to those who are cultivating the causes of happiness by way of virtue, by way of ethics, doing their best to bring some good to the world, whether caring for the environment, trying to alleviate poverty, to enhance education, good governance, medicine, food, energy. Seeking to overcome such things as racism, bigotry, intolerance. Attend closely where there's common ground. For the time being, overlooking the differences, differences in the worldview of race, of embassies, of methodologies. Attend to that level of virtue and ethics with which you totally resonate. And then take delight in it as if it were your own.
then turn your attention to those who are devoting themselves to what in Buddhism is called the cultivation of samadhi, the higher training of samadhi, which of course is much more than simply developing attention skills. The cultivation of the mind, the cultivation of virtue of all kinds, the skillful attenuation of mental afflictions, the cultivation of patience, the four immeasurables, and so on. Looking for all the differences of methodologies, of worldviews. Tend to those who are really going to the very source of the reality of suffering and the source of the reality of genuine happiness. And seeking to heal the one and cultivate the other. And take delight. Where you find the common ground, take delight as if it were your own.
Then turn your attention to those who are devoting themselves to, cult to the cultivation of wisdom, specifically the wisdom, the inside, that liberates, that frees us irreversibly from the afflictions of the mind and all that obscures the deepest dimension of our awareness.
release all appearances. Let your awareness rest in its own nature. Enjoy your day and enjoy each other's day.